The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The last time I can ever remember feeling any sensation like the out-of-body experience I felt last night watching the Milwaukee Bucks completely collapse at the hands of Jimmy effing Butler in the Miami Heat, a team, by the way, that looked absolutely dead in the water about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, I don't know, whatever, whenever it was, when they could barely score a basket against the Chicago Bulls. The last time I felt like that, my jaw just on the floor for an hour straight, anything like it, was in the bubble when in Game 7 of the Nuggets-Clippers series, the Nuggets rallied from another big deficit. The Clippers just collapsed in every possible way. A team that I thought could have won the title that year. That's the last time I felt anything like the feeling in my gut, in my brain. Am I dreaming this? Am I hallucinating that I felt last night? And this, this was worse. This was worse. The Bucks, the Vegas championship favorites. My pick all season to win the title. Nice job, NBA analyst Zach Lowe. Clippers Bucks Finals. How'd that work out for you? Better luck next year, idiot. The Bucks are out. It might be the biggest upset in the history of the NBA playoffs. I haven't been able to dive down into it that deeply yet. One versus eight, obviously. Giannis played only two full games. They lost both of them, so I don't want to hear that as an excuse. Only one you won was without him when you made a zillion threes. And look, I'm used to the Bucks' offense in the half court disintegrating into nothingness, into Giannis taking inexplicable fadeaway jumpers in the post over Bam Adebayo, people dribbling the ball off their feet, people not having any real idea what a good play to run might be. Giannis taking a pull-up jumper just because he still thinks that's a good idea somehow in the 10th year of his career, wherever the hell we are. I'm used to all that. I'm used to, I'm used to the Bucks not adjusting. I'm used to it. That's just what they do. They don't adjust. They're going to do what they do. Is Jimmy Butler tearing you apart with maybe the greatest first-round playoff series in the history of the NBA, averaging 30, 38 points a game, destroying single coverage, bulldozing everyone who's not named Drew Holiday and even scoring efficiently on Drew Holiday? Is all that happening? Are you going to throw Giannis on him? No, that's fine. That's not the silver bullet everybody thinks it is. What I've tried it. Yeah, sure. Try it. Try anything. Anything. They don't have any other players. Hit him in the groin. That's the way the playoffs are going. Just hit him in the groin. Get Dylan Brooks on your team and hit him in the groin. 38 points a game. Minimal help. Minimal double teams. Minimal anybody but Jimmy. Defense. I'm used to all that. That's Mike Budenholzer. That's the Bucks. To not have a timeout, or excuse me, to not call a timeout, a timeout at the end of regulation. And then in the press conference afterwards to answer the question by just saying, yeah, we needed to call a timeout there. I just, I don't think there's any coming back from that. To not have Brooke Lopez in the game on that unbelievable sideline out of bounds to Jimmy. How he caught that perfect Gabe Vincent pass. Shout out to Gabe Vincent who went out there like he thought he was the goddamn best player in the NBA and made enough shots to justify it, including the pull-up three that nobody will remember to put the game within one before the Bucks started doing nine million crazy things. 
How about when Giannis got the jump ball and almost threw it out of bounds because he was so afraid to get fouled? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Where was I? Oh, the out of bounds play. Yeah, Jimmy Butler, amazing, amazing play. You don't call timeout. You don't have Brooke Lopez in for that play. And then you let the clock run out at the end of your season without taking a shot? There are some losses from which there is just no going back. You cannot come back the same team. And the Bucks cannot come back the same team from this. I don't know how it will go. We have very smart people to come on now and talk to us about their offseason um, league insiders. And you don't really have to be an insider, but league insiders are extremely um, skeptical that Mike Budenholzer can return as head coach of the Bucks next year after this. Uh, he has, according to Woj, his last extension, which happened after they won the title, runs through the 24-25 season. So he's got two years left. I, I just don't see any coming back from it. It's just logic. I, I, I don't I don't see how you can have the press conference where you say we should have called the timeout there. I think the league insiders are going to be right. I just don't see any other way. And now you just come to mortality for a team comes really fast in the NBA. Brooke Lopez is a free agent. Chris Middleton can be a free agent. Drew Holiday will be eligible for an extension in the middle of next season. They're all in their 30s. Giannis will be eligible for the super-duper-gaduper max in September. You think that's going to be a big landmark moment in the NBA? You think the other 29 teams aren't like, whoa, whoa, what just happened in Milwaukee? They didn't call a timeout. And Giannis threw the ball out of bounds and shot 10 of 23 at the foul line with a bad back, but still. And then they missed other free throws, and then they didn't get a shot off, and Grayson Allen is probably still dribbling around downtown Milwaukee right now in his uniform, like, well, maybe I can get my floater off. Oh, my God. This is... I literally couldn't fall asleep last night because I was just sitting in my bed thinking... A, I have to get up and watch Warriors-Kings tomorrow morning. Warriors for breakfast is one of the slogans in my house because they always play so late. Warriors for breakfast. I love Warriors for breakfast. Give me my coffee. Give me Steph Curry. Give me the Warriors. And like, what just happened? Jay Crowder didn't play? Jay Crowder. Every Instagram post and cryptic tweet was dissected. Like, oh my, what does that mean? Who's going to trade for Jay Crowder? Could he report back to Phoenix? How many second round picks? Five? Jordan Nawara, who actually played well for the Pacers? Jay Crowder couldn't even get on the court. Except for one defensive possession. Wes Matthews. God bless him. That's who you turn to to save your season. Bless Wes Matthews. Bobby Portis, six man of the year finals, played 25 minutes combined in the last two games or something like that. Had zero points last night. Maybe 32 minutes. I don't know. Some amount of small minutes. Oh my God, Bobby Marks and Howard Beck. Bobby, you're going to help us plot out the Bucks offseason. How are you? I'm good. Uh, the beauty of it is I, I couldn't even watch the game last night because it was blacked out in here in Southwest Florida. So we had to go. We had to go old school. We had to go Golden State sack on the screen, and then we went. We went serious radio in my office. So with the box score running, so I watched it this morning. Um, it was everything you just described, <laughs> and then some. I forgot that Giannis fouled Max Struess down by two, shooting a three, landed underneath his feet, and it was such an obvious call that everyone was like, oh, yeah, the two-time MVP, the guy who was campaigning for a third MVP, blah, blah, just did that at that time. Fire it all into the universe. Howard Beck, Howard Beck, how are you? (laughs) 
I'm doing well. Uh, I loved that that opening rant. Um, it it's might be in my rant. top I just, five. I'm just astonished. I'm not angry. I'm just astonished. I, I just, intro. I, top five all-time low post intro slash rant. It was ranty. We, we can do the Giannis thing where we where we pin this on Giannis and talk about his legacy. We can do that if we want. He had 38 and 20 playing with a bad back. Yeah, he shot 13 of 20, 10 of 23 rather, 10 of 23 from the foul line. That sucks. That's really bad. You should be a better free throw shooter than that. Really bad. Really bad hot potato at the end that Chris Middleton Superman dove into the stance to save your goddamn ass from from really a really an all-time blooper. Giannis is Giannis hit 16 free throws in the biggest game of his life to win the NBA Finals. And he just keeps going to the line. He's never afraid. He's going to keep going. He's going to keep missing. Like, he's got my respect. I, 10 of 23 is bad. Not going to really taint his legacy all that much for me. Like, he's got my respect. He won a title. He made all his free throws. Played through a back injury. The foul was dumb. The hot potato was embarrassing. The free throws were bad. The shot selection was bad. It's bad. It's part of it. It's part of it. Just like LeBron's 2011 finals is part of it. It's part of the story. It doesn't make him a like fundamentally different human being or player to me. It's just going to be part of his story. With respect to what he answered after the game about the season not being a failure, the season is a gigantic, colossal, embarrassing, humiliating failure. Um, Bobby, I'll start with you. What's the most interesting question about the Milwaukee Bucks this offseason? Well, I mean, I think you hit on it. I think it's let's remove the. There's a, I mean, there's a lot, but I think it's going to be with. It's going to be the coach. I mean, that's the. It's the coach, right? I mean, like all the other things will kind of flow in. The Brooke Lopez, the Chris Middleton, Giannis, eventually um, Drew Holly. It's the coach. Um, two years removed from winning a championship, that likely was going to get fired if Kevin Durant's toe was not behind the three point line in the Brooklyn series. How much, as I say, championship equity did he buy? by winning a championship. Hey, Nick Nurse won a championship four years ago and, and is out in Toronto, right? So we're two years removed from that. And I think I think if you're Milwaukee and you're in, your, in the front office there and you see someone that you think could be the coach in waiting on your bench, whether it be a, a person like Charles Lee, for example, and you think he could be your coach or he could get a job somewhere else, Okay then you are making a change because you do. It's almost like what if Boston would have known the whole email Doka stuff and would not have let Will Hardy go to Utah. If you had a coach in waiting on your roster here, then I think that's something that Milwaukee is going to have to consider. But for me, and I didn't even really write about it because I didn't think it was, it was such, you know, how games five was going to unfold. But for me, it starts with the head coach and then it's going to filter into all these other questions about the roster. Howard, what what stood or stands out to you? Say something, just say something. <laughs> I'm I'm out of I'm out I, of questions. I, I, well, I mean, um, you know, Bobby's right, but I think like the coach is almost, and you said it, Zach, in the opening. The coach is almost the obvious part, and I hate saying that because like I'm one who I usually try to steer away from like predicting or or uh, speculating on guys getting fired. Um, but man. I don't see how that's avoidable here, but that's not going to be enough. I mean, I, I think everybody could agree. Yes, there were decisions made and not made last night that are a huge part of this. I thought it was interesting, too, that Giannis, you know, without actually blaming Bud, didn't exactly absolve him of anything in some of his his responses about those decisions. When the superstar says we didn't adjust, we yeah. didn't adjust, we that's didn't always, adjust. It's, a, it's, an, it's the, an indictment. The spray paint is on the wall. 
Yeah. Well, here, here, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to go back 19 years from my days in, in New Jersey after we lost to San Antonio in game six of the NBA finals when we were up 14 points. And you know what the press conference was? We didn't adjust. And you know what happened five months later? Byron Scott got fired after going to, to two NBA finals. So you're right. When, you, when yeah. your star players say that, then they're certainly writing on the wall. Oh. Also, there. Listen, you could see. I'm not going to say I could, that we could predict this kind of epic collapse in five games in the first round. By the way, the first number one seed in the best of seven first round era to lose in five games. Like the last time a one lost in five games was back when it was the best of five series. Um, I missed the best of five, by the way. Uh, the part of this that I think was foreseeable if not necessarily right now this month yesterday but that was on the horizon was that this roster was getting old the supporting cast was starting to get a little older and a little creakier and a little less reliable and i thought at some point in the near future i didn't expect it would be today they're gonna have to reckon with how to refresh uh the lineup around Giannis. They've done a really nice job of bringing in the right pieces at the right time. Guys who were like Brooke Lopez, like the Lakers didn't even value him enough to, to keep him around. The Nets had offloaded him. Um, you know, Chris Middleton was a, a, a brilliant pick pickup in a, in a trade with the Pistons years and years ago. Drew Holiday was the one all in move that they made. That, that was kind of the, we need our last piece. Um, but Drew is 33 in June. Middleton's 32 in August. Lopez is 35 and keeping everybody together means a massive luxury tax bill that Bobby could speak to much more intelligently than I can. Like this was coming like this moment was, I did not expect this moment would be today, but the moment where they were going to have to reckon this was, com was, was coming. I, I will just note as a quick aside and uh, the uh, self-interested plug here. I just had a, a Q and a slash kind of exit interview with Mark Lazary, the bucks, uh, uh, one of the co-owners who sold his share a couple of weeks ago, which just went through. I uh, interviewed him for GQ sports and talked about why leaving now. And he, he put it in financial terms, right? Like, the profit that he's making off of selling his 25% share is uh, and, and just a, a mind-blowing amount. But I think on some level, he did not say this. I'm not going to put words in Mark's mouth. But on some level, I think this was the right time to get out for competitive reasons, too. They, he, he got to ride the wave through a championship and through these great years with Giannis becoming Giannis. Um, this is now an inflection point for the franchise. They've got a change in ownership. They were probably going to have a change on the bench. I assume John Horst is fine uh, in the front office. The roster, I think, is is up for you know for reimagining. Welcome, new but, owners. Yeah, here it's enjoy an this crisis. Point. It's an so, inflection point. I would I would put it that way. Kindly. Oh, it's a crisis. It's not. It's it's a crisis. Um, before the season, I had Bill Simmons on the podcast, and just for fun, because I, I thought it was a bit he would enjoy. I said, let's go through the list of the top seventy-five all-time players. The guys who just got named top seventy-five. Who's under the most pressure this season? It's just it's it's a talk it's a it's a talking head thing, but it was fun. And I assumed you know he would say Harden, um, Durant is was his choice. And I said I said to him, let me make the case for Giannis. Let me just I don't think it's Giannis, but let me make the case. And the case was exactly what you just said. You've won one title, two MVPs. You're an all timer. Whatever you do from now on, you're in whatever top whatever pantheon all time already done. As you get up that hierarchy, 
the littlest things start to differentiate, differentiate, right? Two titles, three titles, one title, whatever it is. How many more chances are you going to get with this core to realistically win a title? And Bill was like, well, that's interesting. I didn't think about it. It was less about Giannis and more about the age of the roster. And now one person put it to me like, like this last night. Here's the good news. If you want to keep Giannis content, you probably have to pay Chris Middleton if, if he opts out or even if he opts in for one year or whatever. And Brooke Lopez, because there's no replacing them in free agency. You don't have the cap space in your Milwaukee anyway. There's, there's no replacing them. Here's the bad news. You have to pay Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, and you're trapped into this roster. And it's a great, it's a great roster. They could run it back next year and win 55 games again. Who knows? But they are, <clears throat> at, a certain, at a certain level, this is just what happens to great teams, right? You trade your picks for good veterans. You trade the future for now and you end up old and capped out and having to find a way to like wriggle your way to your next era without falling back if you have a 10 pole star and they have a 10 pole super duper star it's hard to do and it's hard to do when you look at what the bucks have done in the draft since Giannis which is the all one of the all-time great draft picks since then they have gotten zero almost zero out of the draft in 10 years Almost, it's a whole list of Thon Makers and DJ Wilsons and RJ Hamptons and blah, blah. It's just a whole list of nothing. And yeah, you pick at the back. That's part of the deal. When you win, you pick at the back. You're going to miss most of the time. You got to hit like one out of every four. Just not even big hits. And when they did hit, they hit Malcolm Brogdon, who they traded for largely financial, at least somewhat financial reasons. And you hit with Dante DiVincenzo and a trade that, Bobby, you and I were on this podcast when that trade happened. People liked that trade for Serge Ibaka. And I said on that podcast, I just am not in the... I know Dante DiVincenzo slumping. His ankle was injured. He couldn't make a shot. I am not in the business of trading wing for big, particularly a big who had not shown anything in a couple seasons in Serge Ibaka. And the Bucks fans all laughed at me and said, he hasn't been watching the Bucks. Dante DiVincenzo can't make a shot. No, I was watching the Bucks. I get it. And I'm not saying that trade makes the difference between this whatever this is and something better. It's just they don't have a lot in the cupboard and, and they haven't helped them. So, and, and again, to, to credit this front office, Drew Holiday trade, masterstroke, getting Lopez for nothing, masterstroke, getting Bobby Portis for nothing, masterstroke. They did a lot of great work. There's just not a lot of young stuff in the pipeline. And here we are. Here we are. I, I will say this. This is, to me, reminiscent of a couple other situations. And all of these are very different. But in the abstract, they are similar enough to, to bring up this analogy. The Shaq and Kobe Lakers by the end was they were crumbling, right? They go to the finals three times in in a or excuse me, four times in their last five years together, win the three championships in a row, come back, get to the finals again, and get smoked by the Pistons in 2004. There were a bunch of things going on, but not least of which was that Robert Ory had moved on and they'd replaced him with uh Carl Malone, took that flyer. Malone got hurt that year. Um, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, Brian Shaw, Ron Harper bringing back Horace Grant. They were old. They were old and creaky around Shaq and Kobe. Now, Shaq and Kobe wanted nothing to do with each other. There were other things going on. But what I saw happen over the course of the seven years I was covering them and through the, the that bitter end for them, it is hard drafting late every single season. It's hard to find those diamonds in the rough in the late 20s of the first round, if you have your picks at all. Um, no matter the economic system them in the NBA or the economic system now, there's always these built-in limitations where, whether it's luxury tax, you know, cap exceptions, having enough of them to be stay competitive, it's hard to keep refreshing. And then the other one I think of is 
the Heatles era. Um, does anybody still refer to it as, as Heatles? It was. I never. Was I never. At the time. I never did. I was always. Now. I was always anti Heatles as yeah. a nickname, not as a team, as a nickname. Yeah, um, but that four-year run was in some ways shorter than it should have been, and maybe less glorious than it could have been because they had so much invested in the three stars that there just wasn't a, a, a lot they could do around the edges. And looked at, think of how old and creaky they looked by the end of what was just a four-year run. And this happens. You know, great teams, if you were in the finals every single year for a, a four or five-year span or, or you're um, making or, or, deep, deep runs. Or once. Or even once in the or Bucks once. case. Right, but, you're, but you're, you are perpetually drafting late in the first round. Um, you, you have probably traded picks, as they have in this case. So you're you're limited in the other ways you can improve. And, they and I'm not, this is not to absolve Im- anything. And it's they just, did yeah. the most important thing, which is they won a title. Nothing yes. ever takes that away. And I think, although it's fundamental and obvious, as everyone is going through the wreckage of this today, like we are, I think you have to put front and center. They won the whole damn thing. And they kept Giannis. Yes. They kept Giannis and they won a title, right? I mean, that was kind of the big... But now we move forward and like... I mean, Zach, you didn't even you didn't even hit on like and like like what all these decisions like, and then you add in the new CBA coming in, right? Like, which will further further restrict how this roster is going to be built out, where it's basically they are going to be forced almost to keep this team together, and they are going to be forced to pay substantial penalties here. Bobby, can you take us through the honest extension timetable, please? Yeah, so he is extension eligible starting on September 22nd. He's got three years left on his contract. The third year is a player option. There are two different ways he can do it. He can sign a, a three-year, $174 million extension. That would take that, that player option year, which is at $52 million, goes away. We replace it with a new contract, and we add two more years onto it. Okay, Or he can opt into that $52 million number and add another two years at one hundred and uh, $119 million that would put him um, in a Milwaukee uniform to, through 2027-28. So big picture, he's got three years left on his deal. Last year is a player option. He can add either another two or three years onto his contract. That is a late September um, thing. That's right before training camp. We'll, we'll, um, you know, Does happen. he have any real incentive to sign no. an extension? no. And there's a deadline, October 23rd. I mean, the deadline, the real incentive is that it's another, it's you know, hundred hundred plus million dollars in guaranteed money, right? Or or you just play it out and you wait until you're, you know, into the off season of 25 when you'll become a free agent and I mean you'll be able to sign for 300 million plus with Milwaukee or somewhere else. But there's no real the- incentive there, except for the guaranteed portion. The the Bucks have two things going for them right now with regard to to Giannis. Given the era of the NBA we're in, where stars are constantly either leaving in free agency, demanding out with a year left, or then two years left, or four years left, they they've got the one star who, in a small market, said, "I'm happy. I want to be here." Uh, right after the it was right after the Drew Holiday acquisition, right that he he committed to the extension, and. I think they're fortunate that he has built the way he is. The the clip of him that's gone viral today that's just it's stirred an entire journalism debate. Um it was a very thoughtful and 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 fascinating answer because Zach you said it. Uh, objectively speaking, there's no question it was a failure. Their season was a failure. 
and, and a pretty embarrassing one given the expectations, this talent level, where they are in the standings, where the Heat were in the standings, the fact that it ended in five games, all of it, every single bit of it, it, it is an objective failure. And we on the outside will all define it that way. But every athlete, coach, the people who are playing this game at an incredibly high level, they get to define for themselves what a failure is. And if Giannis's answer is, and this is what was so fascinating and valuable about it, he's he can put it in philosophical terms and in broader life terms. I'm glad that he is not judging himself and his value uh, or his or his work over the last eight months, based solely on this. That's fine. It's a ve- I thought it was like very healthy s- response uh, psychologically speaking, right? Um, but it is a failure from a competitive standpoint. And if Giannis weren't the kind of person who would give that kind of answer, the Bucks I think would ha- have to be in utter panic over, oh crap, is our guy going to ask out? Because a lot of other stars in this situation might not be so philosophical about it, and might have uh and listen Giannis could turn around and still do that too if he wanted to I think what we know of Giannis or what we've learned of him over these years is that he's not the kind of star who is going to start stamping his feet and demanding firings and trades and everything else or saying get me out of here that is at least uh working in their favor also working in their favor is that he's won a title so there is not this endless like ring 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 thing and he he was injured. Like this was a yeah. Real injury. Well, and that's the other thing too, Zach. It's like he didn't. He didn't. Let's say he didn't play most most of game one. Didn't play game two. Didn't play game three. Like I think there's a, a more. Of, if he was completely healthy, right, and played all five games, and his team still lost four one, then I think it raises more of the red. You know, the the, the alarms are going off. But I do think you give a, a teeny bit of a benefit. You know, I guess it benefited Some, a doubt. For sure. Yeah, because of where you know because of the circumstances. And and I heard the scene, and Sham Strania reported some of this uh, yesterday. I heard the scene after Game Four was rough. Like he he was in rough shape in the locker room, in pain. Um, it, and and I think they mentioned some fluids and all that. Uh, I think that was true. I think he was in rough shape after Game Four. Look, I mean, ultimately, we don't like Howard said. Everything that Giannis has said and done in the past, and the fact that he's won would seem to indicate that he is does not have the same wanderlust as maybe other superstars have had. That said, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys, the other 29 teams in the NBA are watching this and, and thinking, is, is this nuclear bomb ever going to go off? Because if it does, I don't, and I'm not saying it will, I don't know. I have no idea what Giannis is going to do. My, my actual baseline assumption is that Giannis will just stay in Milwaukee forever and ever and ever. I have no idea if that's true. And if there were a moment where he's going to look around the roster and think, if what I really want to do is win, is this going to be the best place for me to do this over the next five or six years? This is the first moment, I think, where he's going to start asking, where where he could, not going to. I shouldn't say he's going to. I don't know what he's going to do. Where objectively he could look around and say, hmm, did our did our best chance pass us by? And I don't need to tell you guys, if there's ever... First of all, the Bucks the Bucks should will never trade him. They should never trade him unless he has to be traded. You just don't you don't tra- it's like the Thunder with Durant. You go down with the ship. You don't trade guys like this. If if they're your guy, homegrown guy. If he makes it known at any point that he's concerned about his future in Milwaukee. What is the list of players and draft picks? that would not be made available in the event that Giannis ever asked for a trade. 
I think the list might be one thing long. I think it might just be Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. I think that might be. The, now, you can obviously there's realistic things like the, LeBron is not going to get traded. Durant's not going to. Like, we all know that. But it, just in terms of sheer player and pick value, I think Steph, the, maybe Luka. I don't dis- know about that. Despite I, what I, happened I, this year. Yeah, I would say that if, if, if let's hypothetical. Hypothetical. Yeah. If, if all yeah, of a to sudden, be clear, John, this is just a fun theoretical discussion. John, if John Horst called, let's Nico Harrison and said, "Hey, what would your thoughts on Luca for Giannis straight up?" I that's that's not a hang up call. That's a thoughtful conversation. And and I don't like this is just theoretical. I don't I don't think this is on the verge of it happening or anything like that. But I'm just I was just thinking about it, like because all the stuff with Durant last summer, right when he first requested a trade. And all the stuff that was like, well, would Toronto put this in? And would blah, 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 blah. That's all in. All of it's in. This is a 28-year-old, two-time MVP, considered probably the best player in the NBA. And everything's in. The other thing I just thought to myself when I couldn't go to sleep last night, because I'm a crazy person, is the other asset I thought a lot about was the number one pick in this draft. And I don't even know, I don't even know if, and I, some people were spitballing about this with me overnight, like just the what if Giannis from Wembenyama is like, my brain just exploded and I don't, I don't even know how to value either one of those things. But if a team, it would have to be a team that A, got a commitment from Giannis, right? That's the number one, you got to get a commitment that he's going to stay for more than the two years that are left on his deal. And you got to be a team that's like the rare lottery team that's actually in a position to pivot pretty fast to being good. If a team like that won the lottery, I mean, I don't even know. You'd have to shut down the NBA for like a year if even a, a whisper of that discussion happened. It's not insane. It's not as <laughs> a, a, a value proposition, but I, do, I, do, I have no idea how to value. Those are the only two assets I thought about. I, I Listen, I... Uh... I think Giannis and Shea Gilgis Alexander would love playing with each other. I don't think we're there yet. I'm just saying, like, I, I, this would be. Why are you laughing? No, I just, I, I, that would just be, that would just be fitting. What if, like, I'm just look, saying, hey, like, look, if they're if, in the lottery. They've got a bazillion picks. They've got players. I'm just saying. I, I hope we don't. Say, I hope for the sake of the Bucks in the city of Milwaukee, we never ever get no, there. And like I, I said, I, I have agree. absolutely no indication that anything like that is ever going to happen. I just know that this is going to be a very angsty next twelve to eighteen to twenty-four months for the Bucks. Not just because of the Giannis extension, but just because of what happened to their team and how old it's getting around Giannis. And if he doesn't sign that extension, it's not necessarily like. This sign that he wants out, it just could be what Bobby said. He, what what incentive does he have to do? He's going to get. He could break two legs today and get paid the max on his next contract. He's going to get his money, so the security doesn't necessarily mean anything to him. It's just, it's going to be an angsty twelve to eighteen to twenty four months as they try to sort of reorient this roster one way or another. And maybe it's just a simple change here and there, and they're back on their feet. But this is this is bad. Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, as as you said with the roster, I mean, like, so as we talked about the coach and Giannis, like now you've got Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton. Those are your two. That's priority one A and one B. And Lopez, you can you can you can extend him 
You can extend them before June 30th. You can extend them for an, another three years. I think God, was he good? Oh. Yeah, three for 54. You can't do four because you're over 38 rule. Um, Brooke turned 35 in April. Um, and Middleton is going to be the most interesting thing because of that $40 million player option. Um, let's face it, he had injuries the last couple of years. He has not been Chris, the Chris Middleton. There's been signs of it. Mm-hmm. But I, in this conversation, he's got leverage. I think he's Bobby, got leverage. I think he's got leverage. Bobby, I'm curious about this. If if I can uh, ask the question for a sec, Zach, it, it, let's assume that they're because they have no good options, right? You're still way over the cap. It's not like you can replace those guys with with other younger players. So you resign Brook Lopez. Uh, whether Middleton opts out and you resign, or however, however the math works, he stays. You have the exact same roster and no reason to believe necessarily that they're going to get better from here. Um, they were good enough to be the number one seed and maybe would be again. But if we take it as a given that this group as constructed, if brought back at whatever the price might be and all the taxes and everything is still not good enough, what realistic options do they actually have, uh, especially with the new CBA coming in, which I still do not have my head wrapped around entirely yet with second aprons and third aprons and uh, probably you know dish towels and I don't, other things that you find in kitchens. Um like what do they what can they realistically even do once they're maxed out to this extent? Well, I mean, realistically, what they can do outside of their their core guys is that um A, they don't have the tax, they probably won't have the tax mid-level, which is at five. That's what they signed Joe Ingles to last year. They can bring back Ingles 7.7, I think, is the most they can bring back. I don't think they're gonna bring back Jay Crowder. I mean, that was the benefit of of a trading for him because you get his bird rights and now you can exceed the cap and 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 you'd pay you know, a price, but I don't, for me, I don't see, I mean, unless he's come back on the veteran minimum here, um, you've got a player option, Javon Carter. I don't know what he's going to do. It's a 2. I'm a little 2 million. surprised he'd never given their perimeter defense in this yeah. series. I'm a little surprised that he didn't get on the floor. Yeah. I mean, so your options, as you said, Howard is, is that you've got Connington, you've got um, Grayson Allen, you've got Portis. Those are your guys, your, your kind of reserves, your other players. And now you're really you're, uh, Marshawn Beauchamp, who you drafted. You've got the 58th pick in the draft. You've got the veteran minimum exception for your other pieces of all those players that are the West Matthews, who you're not going to bring back. Um, I mean, your picks, I mean, your picks are going out. I mean, 25 is owed to um, either New Orleans or, or New York. You owe an unprotected 27 to um, New Orleans, 24 and 26. The Pelicans can swap. All worth it. They all worth it. Yeah. All worth, all worth it. it. Um, but that's kind of where, so you are, as I, as you said, like you're almost kind of like, you have to almost bring this group back and then hopefully you hit on some of these, these kind of fringe moves here. And at the end of the day, you bring them back. And if it's not working, hopefully they still have some of these guys have trade value where you're kind of moving off players. You, you would rather have guys on your roster under contract than the cap space is, over, I mean, it's overrated, right? Like the reality of it's re- you, you want movable pieces here. I think back for many reasons to the Cavs decision to extend Kevin Love on what was like a four year, 130, something like that. It was a big deal. Hey, but it was the, the selling point was that it was a de- decreasing contract. I mean, well, now. And, and the other the selling point above that was this will be a trade. We can get positive trade value out of this. And I remember saying to people, they're like, nah, I don't know if that's going to be the case. And of course, they end up waving him. And now he's he was phenomenal last night for the Heat when they needed size and they needed shooting. 
he stepped up until he fouled out, and they were running out of guys by the end of the game. Everybody was fouling out. Um, uh, and it just, like, so so the Cavs kind of misplayed it at the front and the back end of the Kevin Love situation because, oh, my God, could they have used Kevin Love in this debacle against the Knicks. Um, before we leave this Bucks heat thing, let us come in praise of the Miami Heat, who Jimmy Butler... 37.6 points on 60% shooting. 44% from three, because when the calendar turns to tax day, Jimmy Butler gets a three-point shot. 64% on twos. 9.6 free throws a game. Six rebounds, five assists, two steals, two and a half turnovers. Almost never turns the ball over, considering his usage, two and a half turnovers is nothing. And, and, and by the way, guarded Drew Holiday... And then when he needed someone to guard uh, Giannis, because those were the matchups they had on the floor, yeah, I can do that. And then when he needed someone to guard Brooke Lopez down the end of game four, oh, yeah, I'll do that too. We might never see a playoff series better than that from an individual player. And the Heat, Duncan Robinson, you didn't play all year? Step up. Gabe Vincent, step up. Kyle Lowry, forgotten shell of himself. We thought we were getting a better Kyle Lowry than this. Not the same guy, but showed up. Scored points when they needed it. Defended really well. Made shots. Defended well enough that they could finagle the matchups a little bit in ways that were more favorable to them. Play different sorts of lineups. And, and the coaching staff, I mean, Eric Spolstra. At some point, I'm going to vote him coach of the year just, to, just so he wins. Because it's a crime that he's never won. And last night... I mean, every page of the playbook came out last night. They sprung the Bam Jimmy inverted pick and roll on him at the end of the game. Bucks didn't know what hit him. The sideline out of bounds play we talked about. The corner pin downs for Jimmy Butler at the, the fourth quarter. We hadn't seen a lot of those. They got bucket after bucket after bucket out of it. The weird plays where they would send Bam to the corner and have him be a Draymond-style dribble handoff guy over there. Bucks were like, what is going, where's, what's happening? I mean, it was like every page of the playbook came out. Everything worked. And then the other team didn't call a timeout. Any parting thoughts from either of you guys on Bucks Heat? No, I mean, and then you add the Tyler, no, you know, Tyler Hero. I no, mean, Tyler. Oh my God. Yeah, you know, Tyler Hero. I mean, like, Oladipo. Like, Zach, like, you, this Miss Miami team was like a quarter away from being home in, in the Chicago game. They, they were lifeless in Atlanta here. I mean, like it's 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 one of the more remarkable things. It's almost like like Spo said, like, just get me into the tournament. Right. Just get this group in and I can figure it out how to make it work. And it's it's amazing. I mean, Kevin Love went from starter. He was coming off the you know, he was coming off the bench like. Gabe Vincent was, you know, a start. And, like, it's Max Struess, like, the whole list of guys. Bam. I mean, Bam was awful in the Atlanta game. How about how about Bam last night, a play nobody will remember? About three and a half minutes left in regulation. They were on the holiday Giannis pick and roll on the left side of the floor. And one of the stories of game four, and I wrote about this, was that we didn't see a lot of Giannis screening in the pick and roll. And I didn't know if that was because he was hurting, because they had lost faith in Middleton a little bit. But they ran that play about three and a half minutes left. Side, side of the floor is clear. There's no help defender on that side of the floor in the corner. Drew turns the corner. It's not like the elbow. And Bam drops back. He's playing two. Drew throws the lob. And Bam does the same thing Giannis did to Aiton in the finals. 
jumps backwards and just gets a hand on it and knocks it off of a Bucks player. And he also stonewalled Giannis on a couple post-ups late. His defense was phenomenal. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And now, the old geezers like us. We get to relive Allen Houston and Jeff Van Gundy on Alonzo Mourning's leg and Pat Riley. Betrayal. Knicks Heat. The second round playoff series we all saw coming. Um, The Knicks dispatched the Cleveland Cavaliers in five games. They were just tougher, meaner, strategically sounder. Still don't really know why J.B. Bickerstaff was determined to have... Jalen Brunson being guarded by Darius Garland until he finally went away from that um, late. Uh, the Cavs' half-court offense just ground to dust. Their big men weren't weren't quite there. Evan Mobley, love him. 10 points a game, 8 free throws the whole series or whatever it was. I think he had 8 free throws the whole series. 8 free throw attempts. Um, not good enough. Um, R.J. Barrett rebounded after a bad first two games. It was just marauding, picking his spots, getting out in transition, bullying people. Julius Randle got hurt. Obi Toppin stepped right in, provided some spacing, some defense, some toughness. Really great series by the Knicks. And I think for the Cavs, chalk it up to youth, right? This is our first go-around. We're obviously this nucleus of four guys everyone's really excited about. We all knew the fifth guy was going to be a question the whole year. You know, before the season, we all, everyone pinpointed like, okay, is it Okoro? He can't really shoot very well. Is it Levert? Well, he's kind of redundant as a ball handler, doesn't defend very well. Who's it going to be? Is it Dean Wade? Dean Wade disappeared, had a shoulder injury. Is it Lamar Stevens? Oh, Lamar Stevens is still on the team. Let's try him. Jetty Osmond, Danny Green. We got Danny Green. That seems interesting. Let's do that. Um, We all knew those were questions. The future is still bright. I do think, and and either one of you can take this. I do think it did raise some long-term questions about we've th- th- there has to be a little bit more offensive creativity and variability um, in Cleveland and how to engineer that is I think the next big step for the franchise and maybe it's just experience for and a jump shot for Immobile I don't know but I don't but Bobby you want to start I don't know what what did what was your yeah, takeaway I, from a Cavs perspective I mean Mike I think it's kind of like two seasons for me I think it's the regular season 51 wins the four seed after losing in twice in the play in last year compared to like so there's one that's one there and it's hey they had a great regular season but when you got into the playoffs I thought they were at work they were exposed as you said their half court offense was non-existent if they couldn't get out in transition, they were in deep trouble. 
Um, I think for me, like I wrote about, like, so you basically have different options to look at for Cleveland just based on, hey, you, you, you run it back, you bring Levert back, you use your tax, a non-tax mid-level, and you try to see if you can get a, a wing in reinforcements. Hey, the Rubio signing ha- did not work out for them, right? Like he's he not so, coming off a torn ACL. Yeah, I don't know not, why people thought he was going to do something. Yeah. And then the other guy, you know, Robin Lopez, Raul Neto, guys like, you know, those guys who were just supposed to be your veteran guys. That's those are your big free agents. I think the question, and I'm not ready to go there yet, right? Is the Jared Allen question, right? Like if there is a drastic move, that would be the guy. And but the but on the other end, like I'm not comfortable putting Evan Mobley at five. Like, I mean, can he be your full-time you know, five? Because although their offense, I think their their um their net rating was like plus seven when he played at center this year. Like, I mean, you get you're gonna get buried offense, you know, offensive rebounding is you're gonna get buried and stuff. So there's like kind of like a balancing act here. So for me, it's like yeah, it was a good regular season, but there's, I mean, there's work to do. I mean, and then, and then the Mitchell thing, like the clock, hey, whenever you get, acquire a player like that and you mortgage everything, like the clock is ticking for him. And that's, an, and we talked about Giannis, he's extension eligible also this offseason. Like, I don't know what the incentive, um, I'm just pulling up what the incentive for Donovan is here. Um, he can go three years, 135 million. Or I, I can honestly, just, Bobby did not did did not remember that until yeah. you just mentioned it. Right yeah. Now. So he's basically kind of the same thing. He's got a player option for 25, 26. He can extend for three years, 135 million, or two for 92, 92, six based on that year. Or you just play out the contract and you can sign for two for two. two I think it's for 257 when he becomes a free agent. So there's really not much incentive for him either. But as I said, like when you make a four pick trade and give up um, a lot, the clock starts, right? The clock starts as far as trying to retain him. And I do think part of figuring out the offense and their offense was good in the regular season. It was like ninth or 10th or something in the playoffs. It, it didn't work. And that was predictable. All, all, all year we talked here about how, I don't know if they're going to have the spacing, the shooting, but part of it is also they need to find a little bit more chemistry between those two guards, a little bit more zip, a little bit more pick and roll on one side, swing at pick and roll on the other side. I thought I thought Donovan Mitchell got a little shot happy last night. There were a couple times where he missed he missed a lob, I think, to Mobley on the back. Or maybe it was Allen that was right there. He missed a couple of kickouts, just forcing things a little bit. I think if I were them, I'd be looking around for like a Chris Finch style, not for a head coach. Like remember when Chris Finch was like the assistant in Denver and new Orleans to optimize these double big lineups. And as the offensive coordinator, kind of, I'd be looking around for a guy like that on my bench, but I'm not, I'm not going to be too worried about, about the future going forward. Howard, you you're a New Yorker. How about those Knicks? Bing freaking bong. Um, Astounding, incredible, um, just Don't you wild. regret not coming to the Knicks? Don't you regret <laughs> not coming to the Knicks? I love that guy. I want that guy to come on the podcast and just oh say God. that. Maybe I can. That, I just want him to do that. I gotta find you, that guy. Maybe, maybe it could be. Don't you regret not listening to the low pole? Hey, KD. Don't you regret? Okay. Um, holy moly! So I, I, I've been here for almost. 20 years, 19 years, it's been 19 years. And of course I covered the Knicks on a daily basis during a time when they never actually made the playoffs. Um, but once, so the last time I actually was in the garden for a playoff game was 2013. That was that 54 win team with Carmelo. They lose in the second round to the Pacers. 
I've forgotten what it was like to be at a playoff game at Madison Square Garden because two years ago it was uh, that Hawks series. So they've been they've been back. I was not there because there were still COVID rules and they, it wasn't even a full building. Blah blah blah. So this was really games three and four, first time that the Knicks have actually had been able to have a packed, fully operational uh, Death Star Madison Square Garden for a playoff game. It was insane. Before they even did player introductions, it was ear splitting. My my eardrums were vibrating and not from any kind of like fake crap that a lot of these arenas now do where they're just cranking up the PA. This was just crowd noise. The very first possession the Cavs had in that game, there were defense chants that were just vibrating the whole building. It's just different. And by the way, I know it sounds like just reductive and simplistic to say like, oh, the Cavs are a young team and they were rattled. The Cavs are a young team and they were rattled. Like you could see it in game three and, and a little less so in game four, but especially game three, like Evan Mobley, Darius Garland just did not know where they were, what was happening. Um, like what planet are we even that's on? Fine. That's part of it. It's part and, of it. And it is part of it. That's part of growth. They exceeded expectations this season. So I'm going to, I'm not going to let the Cavs off the hook entirely. Like, but look, they were a 50 win team with a really young team that hadn't been to the playoff. Their first great non LeBron season in a thousand years. And all, all credit for that. But yeah, listen, um, the garden was incredible. Um, the, the Knicks fans, I, I could not be happier for many of them uh, in my life. And uh, the, they were do this. Um, and now like it, like they were, the talk was started three days ago, four or five days ago, in fact, of, well, if they get out of the series and the heat are going to upset the bucks finals, maybe I'm not prepared to like jump, that far ahead i think the celtics are really good and really deep really talented but it it doesn't this doesn't sound like uh an exceptionalism type delusion right now to start speculating on on having a path um it's it's been incredible and by the way one quick just side note here i think one of the the things that's that's most um that's easy to love about this team and especially of course for Knicks fans themselves but i think anybody elsewhere could could admire it this is not a team with great star power. They don't even have a Jimmy Butler, for that matter. And just in terms of what's on your resume, right? Julius Randle has been an All-NBA player, and, and maybe again when those results come out soon. Uh, Jalen Brunson's not going to make it, but is at least in the conversation, but he hasn't even been an All-Star. This is at least somewhat reminiscent of, in the broadest outline, Vegas outline, of those Knicks teams in the 90s. Yes, they had Patrick Ewing, but they never had the most star power. They didn't have Scotty and Michael. They, they were a team that just outworked you, um, played their asses off, made uh, smart basketball plays, were just tougher than you. Mitchell Robinson hasn't, there's nothing on Mitchell Robinson's resume. He kicked the crap out of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Partly because, partly because, partly because he just was tougher and stronger than those guys. That was a large part of it. You, you can't, you can't wash that away. He was tougher, smarter, bigger, stronger, whatever. Um, but also, when you're blitzing the way they were blitzing Jalen Brunson because they were afraid to have him go one-on-one -on -one against Darius Garland or whatever, you're leaving your big men vulnerable on the glass because one of them is out 30 feet from the rim. Uh, I haven't even started thinking about Nick's heat yet. I will say that, interestingly, this is the second consecutive season where a good team that I think internally was maybe more optimistic about where it was than people were externally traded what's going to end up being a pretty meh first round pick for a reserve player 
in a deal that kind of was a not footnote, but just sort of like, oh, yeah, we should probably talk about that trade on trade deadline night that turned out to just be massively important and like so far outweighed the pick costs that went out. And last year it was Derek White in Boston. And Derek White has maybe been the second best player on the Celtics and sometimes the best player on the Celtics in the playoffs. And Josh Hart this year in New York. And I, you, you look around, if you've got a, a little low-hanging pick like that, 20, 25, whatever, and you think you can get a guy who can be your sixth or seventh guy, but he's good and he's a playoff guy, I think the lesson of those two trades is go out and get that guy because the impact might be bigger than the numbers suggest it will be, than the open minutes suggest it will be because they are dead in the water without Josh Hart. I thought what? the Cavs were the team that needed Josh Hart, by the way, watching the Cavs, that series. The Cavs had no picks to trade. That's the problem. They had nothing well, to trade. And, and the beauty of it too, Zach, is that like you don't do that deal. You're not getting Josh Hart as a free agent, right? Like That's the reality of it. You go out and you get him. He's got a player option. You can resign him. You get his bird rights. Like you weren't having cap space to go out and do it. I mean, like he had a great. I mean, Stephen Bondi did an article in the New York Daily News, and it was he basically like he like I live for offensive rebounds in the playoffs because you could just feel the air out of the building when you're on the road, taken out of the life of the people there. And he had three or four last uh, the in game five against against Cleveland here and. Man, you're right. I mean, basically, you traded the 23rd pick and and Cam Reddish and um, four um, for Josh Hart. Let's go to the West uh, and talk about the two series that are unresolved there. Um, starting Warriors Kings Warriors in in a pretty exciting game last night. Malik Monk missed a good looking three that would have tied it at the end, but the Warriors more or less led a lot of the second half and finally won on the road. Only it took them three play. They got one. All they need to do is get one. Now they're going home where they never lose. They're up three two. <sighs> Tough one for the Kings. De'Aaron Fox gutting it out with a with a avulsion fracture in his index finger of his shooting hand. Which, if I had an avulsion fracture, avulsion fracture, no sleep last night. So forgive my pronunciation. Avulsion fracture on the index finger of my writing hand. I'd be like, you know what, guys. I, I need like a DNP, a couple of DNPs today. I got an avulsion fracture. I can't hold a pen very well. De'Aaron Fox is going out there and Draymond Green and other guys are like slapping the loose balls, blah, blah. And yeah, he shot nine of 25, three of 10 from three, six of 15 from two. But they need him. Scored 25 points. They need him. It was a game effort. They're getting nothing out of Kevin Herter, um, which, is, which is a problem. And the Warriors, the shot making of Steph and Clay, the last two games in Jordan Poole in game four, it's phenomenal. Wiggins looks like he's been shot out of a cannon. I, I honestly, like I was having this conversation with a coach the other day, watching Wiggins having missed, obviously for horrible, tragic personal reasons, but just having missed so much time and coming back in the playoffs and looking like he's just faster and more explosive than everybody else. I'm like, maybe more teams should just like pick a random guy and be like, you know what? You're going to sit for 20 games. You're going to come back in the playoffs and it's like you're jumping off a freaking trampoline. And more load just... management? You're arguing for more load management, Zach? I don't think that's a good position. Uh, well. And Kevon Looney, man. Oh, my God. Four points, 22 rebounds, seven assists. Draymond with 21 points off the match. Draymond, one of the only stars ever where a box score where his number starts with a two, his scoring number starts with two. He's like, wait, what? What happened? Draymond at 20 points? Unbelievable. The Warriors are one win away from the conference finals. Uh, Howard, I know you are a 
California guy, and, uh, and we both had our eye on this game last night. Um, this feels like a kind of series where the terms of engagement are, are set now. I don't know if there are any more big cards to play other than maybe the Kings flip Monk into the starting five in place of Herder and just go all in with that group. Um, I, I don't know, but it's been a really, really fun series. And a defense, like both teams have defended really well in this series, and uh, a close series. The Warriors are plus 14 through uh, five games. What did you see last night? Yeah, by the way, a, a contrast, Kings and Cavs, right? Kings, this is a, a young team that's never been in the playoffs either. And, you know, obviously Harrison Barnes has a ton of postseason experience, mostly with their opponent. Um, so it's a bonus a little. But, like, these guys have not looked um, intimidated by the moment at all. And De'Aaron Fox, um, man, just the, the guy's got – I'm not going to try to pronounce the, the the injury with the fracture. But to do what he's doing – um, when when he could have been out for the rest of the series, um, I, I'm I'm so impressed by the Kings. We've been impressed by them all season, but so impressed by them in in this series where the Warriors are the defending champs. The Warriors have all of the the championship medal and all that stuff. And like I I picked the Warriors in six before the the postseason started because I just I have a stubborn belief in them. Uh, call it my Bay Area bias if you must, but um, I just I I never I just never rule out that team. It's it's hard to write them off, and I'm not convinced they're necessarily going to close this out in six at Chase. I think mean, they're incredible at Chase Center, and as bad as they've been on the road this season, they've been incredible at home. But the Kings are not cowed by anything. They're not they are not intimidated, and they're really talented, and they're they're still in this thing. And it won't surprise me if we're talking about a, a game seven back at, at Golden One Center either. And I, I just think broadly for the Warriors, every single time they've struggled this season, every losing streak, every down spell, every, oh my God, look at the road record has been like, something's just broken. Something's just wrong. Maybe it was the punch. Maybe it, it's not. It's like, the, I don't, the Warriors do not have chemistry issues. The Warriors may have some other functional issues at times. And I don't know what the hell explains the bizarre road record. But we have seen time and again this se- this season that what makes them special that 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 those ineffable qualities are still there, and we've seen it again in this series. Um, well, they exist. They exist in in three foundational superstars, but more yes. than any of them, one one all time legend. And I don't even. I said before the series, I'm not quite throwing their road record in the garbage, but I'm not. I'm also not going to worry about it. The only road record that matters to me is that they're one and two. That's the road record for the Warriors right now, as far as I'm concerned, and that's all they need if they win. And I, unlike you, I, I, I'm not going to be shocked if the Kings win Game Six, but I will be surprised if the Kings win Game Six, given Fox's injury and given how good the Warriors have been at home, and that they can smell it now and they can yeah. see a path to the next round. And all they need to do is win a home game. I will be mildly to somewhat surprised if the Kings win Game Six on the road. I expect the Warriors to win. But I won't be sh- nothing <laughs> at this point in this postseason. Nothing's going to shock me. Well, you know what, too, like just watching the the um, the game five is that I mean, this Golden State offense puts so much pressure on you that when when Sacramento has the ball, like you can't go multiple possessions without scoring. Like you have to split your possessions at least here. And I think there was a stretch there, um, you know, Wednesday night where where that happened and. Um, you know, certainly coming back to cut it to one and then Draymond hit that ridiculous, you know, like the dirt one footer there. It's a beautiful um, but the shot. guy that, it's a beautiful I mean, the shot. Guy, I know, but the guy that for me that for Golden State that stood out was Gary Payton. Like he, like 
And there was, you know, we go back to trade deadline. Wiseman traded, gave up on him. But golly, geez, you make that that trade because he, you, for him to win you games like that. I mean, he had three big rebounds, couple, um, couple great passes, a couple baskets here. There was that stretch there, jump ball, right? Um, he was he was tremendous, and you didn't have him for you know whatever because of the injury for two or three months. But man, like the shot making from this group has been off the charts i, wonder I mean how, off the charts oh clay steph had an, like a like a off balance iso against davion mitchell where he couldn't get any separation and made it anyway clay clay on the pick and roll is actually sometimes they overdo it and i'm like can we just give the ball to steph and and have him run run the show but clay's made some plays and some shots tough shots out of the pick and roll gary payton was their second leading rebounder i wonder how many times i have no idea how rare this is the Warriors had 43 rebounds last night, and Kevon Looney had 22 of them. I wonder how many times one player has gotten more than half of a team's rebounds. In I probably Wilt probably it's probably like Wilt did it a million times, and it's not even that interesting. But Gary Payton was their second leading rebounder, and that lineup of Steph, Clay, Payton, Wiggins, Green is a good lineup. And it's been interesting that Steve Kerr stuck with the pool starting and Draymond coming off the bench. I didn't know what he was going to do. Um, I liked that in the second half, he went back to his old starting lineup a little sooner than he did in the first half. He's not getting back to that lineup, the double big lineup with Curry, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond and Looney. He's not getting back to that until like two minutes left in the first half. That lineup is, was dominant in the regular season. It was pl- it's plus 25 and 35 minutes in this series. I feel like at some point, maybe they go back there as their starting lineup, but maybe it, it just doesn't even matter. And like you said, Bobby... When all else fails, the Warriors can get two on the ball against Demonis Sabonis in the pick and roll anytime they want. And when they're doing that, they're generally getting good shots. And I actually think they should lean into it more, but I always think they should lean into it more. They don't, they don't do it, and they win championships. So, God, what the hell do I know? Uh, game six is on, I don't know, Friday. This is game six Friday. And it's early. I mean, for out there, it's early. Because we got two California. The yeah. California. Yeah. The California games are uh, – are, 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 uh, Monopolizing the schedule on Friday. Yeah, uh, Herder's got to make shots, and Harrison Barnes has got to make some threes. He's five of twenty-two on threes. Any parting thoughts on this series, Mister Beck? No, I was just going to say last night was cruel. Like I, I don't know what the answer there is. I know we can't have day games in the NBA, but oh. that, <laughs> I don't, I, I, we I, just I, could we could just move to California for the playoffs, or, and the I first, got, or at least the first round. But that I'm still done. wouldn't solve the problem of, of four really important games all overlapping. Yeah. Where I, I don't, I only have one screen, guys. I couldn't watch all four. I'm too, du- I'm too dumb to have multiple. I can't. My brain can't watch. I, I can barely like chop an onion and have a conversation at the same time. So I can't watch two NBA games. Was like my, I will literally be chopping an onion for dinner because I'm like, I'm basically this part-time sous chef at best. And my wife will ask me a question about our schedule or something. And be like, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. I'm, I'm chopping an onion right now. She'd be like, are you that dumb that you can't, you literally can't do those two things at once? I'm like, do you want me to cut my finger off? Because that's what's going to happen if we have a conversation while I'm chopping this onion. Inside the low household. These are the details everybody really wants. It's good stuff. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, 
Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Lakers Grizz. Kind of felt like that series got written off a little bit once the Lakers went up 3-1 in that thriller in L.A. the other night and the Grizzlies decided not to do media again after talking all sorts of crap early in the series about how old LeBron was and et cetera, et cetera, and he doesn't like to go left and whoops, whoops. Uh, And the Grizzlies came roaring back last night with a blowout home win. It's 3-2. The total difference in the series, I think, is plus five overall. Lakers now under a little pressure to close it out at home. I think I saw Desmond Bain said we're having a game seven. All right, Desmond. I guess don't stop talking. I guess if this is just who you are as a team, keep on talking. What else can we guarantee? What Guarantee the championship now? I don't know. What, what else you want to do? Um, they played really well. And the interesting thing to me, Bobby, in this game was the Grizzlies decided to hell with it. If we're going down, we're going down with shooting. And if that means we have to play Bain at power forward with three other guards around him and figure out how that how we guard LeBron with him, that's fine. If that means we have to play Dylan Brooks at power forward and pray to God he makes a three every now and then, that's fine. Luke Kennard had a shoulder stinger last night. He's a big part of those all-shooting lineups. Their net rating with him and Bain and Ja on the floor is very good in this series. Um, they're obviously going to need him to play game six. But I would expect that to continue to the point that uh, I won't, wouldn't even be like shocked, shocked if they started Kennard in game six. I don't think they will just because I guess you have to have Dylan Brooks out there for defense, even though Tillman is guarding LeBron uh, during a lot of these stretches. But you got to give the Grizzlies credit. They came out and they took care of business at home. And I think that's the correct decision. If we're going down, we're going to make you defend in space and put a lot of shooting on the floor and see if you can keep up. I think the Lakers have some left some some uh, stuff on the table last night that they could counter that with. But any thoughts on that game, Bobby, to the degree yeah, that I mean, you were I able thought, to see it? I just thought going in that for, for Memphis to, to get to go back to L.A., that Bain and Moran had to give you 70. They scored 64, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean that's what I, I thought. That the stars had to be stars. Morant played 43 minutes. Bain played 38 minutes. Um, you know, you, they basically shortened the bench to, you know, seven or eight guys here. And I think you hit it right on the head as far as, you know, you basically adjust if you just go small and put all shooters. You know, you go one big and and you know surround with with uh, with with shooting here. And um, it will be interesting going back to a game game six as far as 
the travel element it's it's for both teams i mean it's certainly here but this like you saw like this was a tired laker team i thought in wednesday night here now we go back to la basically with one day rest here who's got the fresh legs i mean that's going to be the big thing probably the younger team probably the younger team i mean um you know lebron is still lebron in spurts and and in the broadest strokes lebron is still lebron and he is still a player that you absolutely dylan brooks should have some uh proper amount of respect and and uh, you know what, what is pop's phrase appropriate fear seems like a good policy but by lebron's standards this is not exactly a dominant series are showing so far and lebron himself i think said he played like crap in that game um and it's you know the, the turnaround's not not it's not you know it's not favoring them um especially I, I since just, the, pace, the pace has been fast and the lakers want it fast too i think the yeah. lakers have been smart to run opportunistically because both these offenses are struggling yeah. in the half court both are shooting like 30 percent on threes the offensive ratings are really really low um to the point that like turnovers and fast break points, I, I think will be a tell in, in game six. Yeah. And I just, you know, the, the case for the Lakers before the series started or before the postseason in the abstract was always, well, if you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis operating at peak levels, you've got a chance. And if the, the, if the supporting cast, if you get like the Rui Hachimura game, the D'Angelo Russell clutch shots in game four, um, you just need some contributions here or there. You just need somebody to to you know step up on a given night. Doesn't have to be the same guy every night, as long as LeBron and AD are are consistently at their peak levels. But they're not right now. And Anthony Davis can can you know wave off questions about his hip or his shoulder or whatever the ailment of the day is. But every game he is dropping to the floor hard and gripping at something. And so I, I you know I, I again I picked the Lakers to 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 win this series. Uh, out of a belief in the two stars, but I, I'm, I'm not confident they're closing out in Game Six either. Well, look, Anthony Davis, or excuse me, or winning a Game Six. We have the obligatory Anthony Davis injury scare every half now, and offensively, he's, you know, he's been prone to like a 15.414 kind of game. He had 31 on 14 to 23 last night, and his defense in this series has been utterly dominant just completely dominant. There was a play last night where he was on Ja and Ja hit him with the step back and it looked for a second like, oh, this is a highlight wait, waiting to happen for Ja. Like he opened up some space and then AD was like, whoa, covered all the space, got his hand up, challenged the shot, it missed. He leaked out for a dunk and it was like, oh my God, utterly dominant defensively. To your point, Howard, I have a, last night felt to me like a 38-year-old LeBron being like, yeah, this isn't a must-win game. Let's, I'll, I'll see if my teammates can, can carry me to this one, knowing I have a home game in the bag. Five of 17, one of nine from three. So nine of his 17 shots are threes, four free throws on six attempts. And to me, the, the, the thing that I will be watching is if the Grizzlies go small with Kennard, Morant, Bain, Tyus Jones – Three of those guys were even four of them on the floor. And LeBron's on the floor. And Davis is on the floor. And everyone around them can shoot. So no Vanderbilt. That is prime LeBron hunting grounds. That is prime LeBron bully ball. I have so many weak defending guards or undersized guards compared to me to pick from. 
It's like a bounty. Who do I want to screen for me? You're going to have to double me. You're going to have to switch yourself into a mismatch or I'm going to back you down and exploit you. He did none of that last night. And he was in that environment with those kind of players to hunt a lot. And he just wasn't interested in doing it. And I think he's going to have to be interested in doing it. And I have a feeling we're going to come out and we're going to see him do that more uh, in game six. The LeBron at center lineups, and we saw Gabriel again last night, have been a problem all series. With with AD plus 38, without AD minus 33 in 51 minutes. I've I've gotten to really like some of the... I think the Lakers have a lot of good lineup types now. I like when they play Schroeder, Reeves, and Russell together with LeBron and AD. I like when they play Hachimura, LeBron, and AD together as like a bigger lineup, but with Rui, who can at least provide me some sort of spacing playmaking threat. That group has been really, really good. I just feel like they've found a nice balance to their team, but the offense has been up and down. And I think uh, I'm expecting LeBron to engage a little bit more of the bully ball mode. If Memphis goes small in game six, because you didn't do that. If I'm Memphis, by the way, I'm making, they have not really gone back to the Jaron Jackson LeBron matchup very much since the first game of the series. I'd like to see them dip their toe back into that just to be like, dude, you're 38. We're making you work. Like, this guy's a young all star caliber player. We're making you work. <sighs> the other thing in that series that I think applies to the Cavs series too is you can tell that Morant wants to hunt down D'Angelo Russell. He wants to hunt him down in the pick and roll, get him switched onto him or get him into like a soft drop pick and roll coverage that is accomplishing nothing and just blow by him. And that's a great idea in theory. And it's worked for them. But when they have two big guys on the floor, if you blow by D'Angelo Russell, you're blowing by him and ending up in just a forest of very large people. And John Moran's good enough to make like spinny, twisting floaters and stuff. But it's the same reason why like the Cavs had trouble just like, oh, let Darius Garland cook one-on-one. Okay, well, he gets into the lane and it's all of a sudden like, well, there's... My two big guys, they're two big guys. I can't do anything. It's the same reason why they couldn't use Isaac Okoro as a screener when Jalen Brunson was on him to hunt Jalen Brunson because Isaac Okoro is going to roll into space and be like, well, I don't know what to do here. There's bodies all around me. Just interesting. Can we talk Suns Nuggets for five minutes? Sure. Go. I'm, I'm unreasonably excited for this series. And I don't even know where my notes are. I have all sorts of notes. Where are my Suns Nuggets notes? Here they are. Um, they're, just, they're just like, we're chilling. We're waiting for the next, we're waiting for the next round. They start on Saturday. Um, the Suns have lost once with Kevin Durant on their team. Not a murderer's row of competition, including the um, the uh, injury-riddled Clippers. Actually, Bobby, let me stop there. Just I, I don't think I've heard. I haven't listened to you on the Hoop Collective yet. That's going to be on my Peloton thing today. Yeah. Um, what What are the Clippers going to do? My I, Ramona and I talked about this. I, I just don't really know that there's a realistic like break the gang up kind of deal for them that makes any sense given the picks they owe the arena they're moving into on the other hand if those guys come to me and like hey we want a four-year max extension when are they extension eligible uh uh Kawhi is extension eligible july 12th and uh, paul is in september four for 220 is the number for those two i think the i think a couple things i think um, I wouldn't be surprised if Westbrook is um, is not back. I know you know they're a second apron team. They lose the tax mid level exception, big deal. It's five million dollars. The number that Westbrook can sign for is three point eight non bird exception. Right, guys made three hundred thirty nine million in his career. If he likes it that much, there, 
he'll take the $3.8 million number. And he's, he's come out and said that it's been like joyous as far as playing there. I just think, I think you, you, ha- you almost, it's like you've almost, you're all in and you gotta, you just gotta see it through and hopefully you catch a break and these guys get healthy and stay healthy here because they're going to, they're going to, it's going to be the second most expensive team in league history only behind golden state next year. If, if Draymond is back, um, you've got a lot of tradable contracts, the, the Eric Gordon's who's got a non-guaranteed, but I would expect they guarantee it. June 28th is his he was, date. Good. He was good for them. He did. Yeah, his job. Like, um, the Robert Covington's the Batum's like all the Markeith Morris's right. They're all those different contracts. They're all, you know, certainly tradable that we've seen in the Clippers turn over the roster in different deals before Powell, the Powell deal. Um, so I would think for me is that you're bringing this group back and you're giving it another run. Now the million dollar question is what happens in 2024 when you move into that spanking new building, right? Well, like that's the big thing. What do you say if the representatives for either Kawhi or Paul George come to you and say, Oh, we want that for your, whatever you said, $220 million deal. Yeah. I can't, I can't do that. I can't. No. I can't. I would say let's talk in February, but teams don't say that. I to know. superstar players because it generally goes over very badly. Zach, I, they played forty-one percent of the games. You can't. So, I, you just can't. It, you can't <laughs> do it um, unless I build in all sorts of non-guarantees and whatever that I can. But like, why am I? Can I just? Can we have a reasonable? I would say to the agents, can we like have a reasonable conversation? Like, I'll do a a one plus one. I'll, I'll do like I'll give you yeah. something. Like, can we have a middle ground? conversation you just seldom well, see that you know, and to that the you know how the rules are with the cba is now that you can those guys can decline that 48 million dollar option and you can sign for less in that first year like they're all well, can, wait, so, can i even do a one plus one what's the shortest i can do as an extension yeah i mean you can well you decline the option i mean you're really you're really just adding another year you're opting in and then adding a year i guess you could do that i mean that's kind of that's 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 the only conversation I would have. I, I cannot, in good conscience, say four years, 220. Yeah. They're just a, hurt all the and time. And they'll both be, it's it's basically a $61 million cap hit in the last year, and they'll be like 36, 37 years old. I mean, goodness gracious. I, I, I there are Two quick thoughts on this, guys, if you don't mind. Like, the, the, the first is just the... Uh, all of the ah, uh, the Clippers. What a uh, the Clippers are a joke again. What a failure! It's all blew up in their face. Blah 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 blah. They made it. Everybody's making that deal if you can get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, especially if you don't have have any stars at the time. Two, no matter how this ends, if they never make a finals, I've said this before, Zach. I might have even said it on your pod earlier this season. This era is a success in the sense that. The Clippers were never a destination. They were a joke. And then even after the Lob City era, which was the first time that they were had a prolonged period of not being a joke and of having some respectability around the league, they were never a destination. They were the other L.A. team. And having worked in both of these markets, L.A. and New York, and having seen uh, Bobby Marks's Nets uh, and the L.A. Clippers while covering the bigger teams in those markets, it's it's a really steep climb. It's hard to to, to break through. And what the Clippers have done by by just putting themselves on the map and having stars choose them is really important because I think we will never forget we, players and agents, I don't think are going to look at the Clippers the same way again. You know, the further we get from the Sterling era, the further deeper we are into the Bomber era, they, they're going to move into this new building. I don't know if you need new, if you need Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on your roster 
to sell tickets on day one there or not. We saw, you know, Bobby can speak to, we don't need to go down this tangent too far, but like we saw what happened when the Nets tried to slap together a team just for the sake of selling tickets so that on day one in Brooklyn, they would feel relevant. This is a little different. Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard are, are way beyond in talent level what Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez were all due respect to those guys. I'm not convinced you should overcommit yourself just for the sake of we need to sell tickets on day one. And I do think that wherever this goes, I think the Clippers have already, they have reset everything for the way that their franchise is perceived internally and externally and what they can hope for in the future. They will have their own building. They will now have an extended track record of being a relevant high-level team and a really smart and competent team that got stars to choose them before. And now you should have the confidence that they will choose you again because you're in the city that you are, and unlike in past decades, you're no longer squandering it. I think all that's fair. I think all that's fair and accurate. And I've said before, they made zero conference finals before putting these two guys together. Zero. And they had a chance to win the title when they were healthy. They were just never healthy. I, I still think right now it goes down as a disappointment slash failure, but sure. not not like an embarrassing one. Nuggets, Suns, um, conference semifinals, just a heavyweight, just a heavyweight clash in the second round. The second round, we got the the Riley Bowl in the East. Maybe Celtic Sixers, another age old rivalry. Maybe Lakers Warriors. Oh my God! And then Suns Nuggets, which is sort of like the NBA nerds' dream series. Um, and it's also kind of like team continuity against team. We're all new here together. For not one one. There's a lot new in Phoenix, and and that's an interesting angle too. And the Suns, you know, it hasn't it, – it sometimes looked clunky on offense and it's a lot dependent on incredible shot making and Devin Booker is on the best heater of his career and Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant and Chris Paul is making open catch-and-shoot threes, which is what he's going to have to do. Aiton's chipping in where he chips in. They have the best offense in the NBA since they all got together and they have the best offense in the NBA in the playoffs. And you can say, well, they just played the Clippers without Kawhi for the most part in PG. Yeah, Clippers are still a tough defensive team. They beat the hell – out of the Suns. I mean, I, that was as physical as I've seen a team guard Durant in a long time. I don't think Denver is going to play them that physically. And so I think everything with this series starts and ends with the question of how, of how does Denver defend this pick and roll attack? Because we are two years removed from watching a very different Suns team absolutely light up a very different Nuggets team with a spread pick and roll attack that the Nuggets had no answer for. And now there's a little less spread because there's always going to be one guy on the floor that you kind of feel like, all right, if Torrey Craig beats us, he beats us. If Josh Okoge beats us, he beats us. But the other three dudes are as good as it gets. And I just, I'm very curious to see how the Nuggets handle it. Whether uh, and when Jokic comes up to the level of the screen, if they can continue to rotate and rotate and rotate and rotate and make Phoenix really earn it. You know, we saw the Clippers put Kawhi on DeAndre Ayton, and they they mimicked that with other defenders when Kawhi got hurt, uh, and try to hide Zubats on Torrey Craig and Josh Okoge. I don't know that the Nuggets are as well-equipped to do that um, as the Clippers were, just because who is the guy that I'm putting on Ayton? Is it is it by Michael Porter Jr. by default? Well, that doesn't seem good. I'm inviting them to hunt Michael Porter Jr. in the pick and roll. That seems bad. Can't be Aaron Gordon because they need someone to guard Kevin Durant. So 
am I going to try to like pre-switch Jokic out of pick and rolls or am I going to play a little zone defense? What am I going to do? Um, I think that's the biggest, most interesting question of the series. A series that really could be like a, just a gangbusters offensive series for both teams. Really fun. Bobby, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to, I mean, I, you know, they, Denver used a lot of Bruce Brown to close games in the, um, in the Minnesota KCP did not, I'm interested in that. You know, what does that change in this series? I'm interested in Michael Porter jr. Like that, like, it's funny, like his game five, um, I mean, he struggled until the fourth quarter. Um, I think he had like seven or eight points. But then you look at his five games overall in that series, 16 and a half points, 49% from the field and 42% from three. And you're like, like, I think he's the X factor. Like he's kind of sometimes like the missing guy, right? Between Jokic and Murray's shot making and Gordon's defense and Brown and KCP. Like that is going to be, I think that's the type of guy that can kind of tilt the balance a little bit for Denver here. KCP is a pivot point too. He he's almost assuredly going to guard Devin Booker a lot, and the Suns are going to hide Chris Paul on him. And one of the ways the Nuggets are going to try and score in this series is to find Chris Paul, and where is he, and who can we put on him, and can we exploit him? But to your MPJ point, it's so interesting because the Bruce Brown lineup in MPJ's place is their best defensive lineup. It's a very good lineup. Bruce Brown is a guy you could plausibly like do the put him on Aiton thing with and see see how it goes. Even though he's a little smaller than the Clippers guys were, but he's tough and he's smart and Aiton's not exactly going to push you around. Um, but boy, oh boy, a 6'10 shooter, a 6'10 shooter with that release, that fast, playing off Jokic, it just feels like if if his minutes his minutes need to be high for Denver to be at its ceiling and Denver's going to be at, need to be at its ceiling to beat this team four times in seven games the Suns are going to have to be at their ceiling to beat Denver four times in seven games DeAndre Ayton this is it for DeAndre Ayton this is the moment cuz he he has evolved into this sort of like fighting for scraps pick and pop jumpers putbacks roll to the hoop this is his matchup the story of the this series two seasons ago was Oh, he can guard Jokic if not straight up, like with with some digs and some shading and not a double team, and and we can feel comfortable with that. And and he can get up and guard the pick and roll. Like it was a big defensive series for him. Jokic really respects him, and he's gonna have to make plays in the short roll too. When when CP slips in the ball, when Booker slips in the ball, when Durant slips in the ball, I think Durant will be more involved in the pick and roll than he was at times in the Clippers series. And Aiden is like okay at that. Biombo was like weirdly good at that in the last series. Sometimes you want Aiden to take like one more dribble, go up with it, one more dribble and pass it. But it's a big series for him, and he's got a rebound. He's got a rebound. Like you cannot give Denver second chances. And Jokic is a good offensive rebounder. And Aiden's rebounding and his rim protection kind of go up and down. Big series for him. Big series for him. I think this is going to be a really fun series, Howard. Jamal Murray's the other one I want to I want to see. Um, Jamal Murray's looking like bubble Jamal Murray again, which is phenomenal. Um, uh, this is probably the best he's looked since, uh, since the ACL. And, you know, the, the question about the Nuggets, like people have had, like the Nuggets have gotten the least amount of respect of, of any recent number one seed in, in recent memory, I think. And I think part of that is, you know, questions about their defense. And the other question has just simply been like, okay, we know what Nikola Jokic can do. Um, is is there enough consistent, um, you know, supporting 
scoring and playmaking there. And, you know, that's, that's, that all depends on Jamal Murray, really. Like you're not really looking to anybody else to be that co-star. Um, you know, you, you usually need a second guy. Um, we, we know that the Suns with uh, Durant and Booker um, are going to be hard to contain. And I don't know if this is a series that you're going to win just by, tr- you know, you're, you're not, you're not shutting those guys down. I, I don't know if you can really truly hope to just outscore them, but to the extent that they have the firepower to possibly do so, um, I think it's all Jamal Murray and that guy's a gamer. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him in this, in this level of series. Yeah. Um, he is a gamer and they're going to need a big series from him. I don't, I think this could be a long series. I don't know who I'm picking yet. The thing that would worry me a little bit if I were Denver is that the last, let's say seven quarters of the Suns Clippers series, I thought Phoenix started to find a little bit more of a rhythm on offense. Their spread pick and roll system looked a little smoother. Everybody kind of knew where they needed to be. The passes were a little crisper. The ball was moving better. We saw like a few just Booker diagonal slingshots to Durant in the left corner. It just seemed to be moving a little faster. And if they're finding another groove offensively, they're just going to be really, really tough to stop. But so is Jokic. Any final thoughts? I, I think the only thing for me, like just the big picture, is that I think you can make an argument for any of these, whatever comes, the eight teams remaining to be sitting there in early June. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if I see New York there. I oh wouldn't be God. surprised if I Ooh. see the Lakers there. And boy, would boy would our bosses be happy. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised. Like, hey, this is what I, I mean, if we get Boston, Philly in that, in that bottom bracket there, like, those two teams could just kick the crap out of each other for seven games. And who the hell knows what's left of, of who knows what's left of Embiid? Like, who knows what's left of, Tatum or Brown and 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 New York and Miami probably the same thing, but like I just think there's so much parity here, and I think as I said, I think you can make an argument for any of these. You know, whoever gets out of Golden State, Sac, and and Memphis, L.A., certainly Boston, Atlanta, you can make an argument for any of these teams to get to a conference to an NBA Finals. It has been a wild first round, wild injuries, flagrance, more flagrance. It seems like a month ago that Draymond Green stomped on Damanis Sabonis. It's, it seems like a long time ago somehow. Well, we've got a lot more playoffs to get to. Uh, Bobby Marks, uh, we all Cleveland offseason guide is up. Milwaukee offseason guide is up. Uh, yeah, we've, we got all, everyone. All the eliminated for, teams are up. They're all up, man. We just except we just got uh, what we got three in a holding pattern. If you want to learn what your team can, can't, should, shouldn't do in the offseason, read all of Bobby's offseason guides. Howard Beck at GQ. I got to find this Mark Lassery conversation. That sounds interesting. What else we got? Uh, writing on uh, for GQ Sports or GQ.com. Um, uh, potting frequently with the Locked On uh, podcast network, David Locke's great network, uh, where I'm also uh, uh, signed up as a contributor through the next few months. So uh, I'm, I'm in those places for the foreseeable future. Well, you guys both do exceptional work. Thank you for making a little time. And uh, only one game tonight. We can sit back and luxuriate in Hawks, Celtics. No multiple screens necessary. And then the madness begins again on Saturday and going forward. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good to see you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.